Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. Today, I'm talking to John Collins of Intercom. We're going to talk about cupcakes. And we're going to talk about learning to speak when you've been on the other side as a journalist and get to ask all the questions. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. John, it is great to have you here today on the Fireside with Box Geek podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Awesome. So let's get started with the most recent conference I think you were speaking at. And when I say speaking, uh, I mean, you were doing a live podcast on stage. Absolutely. Yeah. How was that? It was a silent disco for a podcast. I don't know if people are familiar with the silent disco, but conferences are an absolutely great place to get a bunch of interesting guests. You go to a conference organizer and you say you want to interview a bunch of people. They're not quite sure whether you're press or you know what the, what the relationship is. So we at Intercom have kind of had this model where we go to conferences that we're, we're sponsoring or we're involved with and we'll say, hey, let's actually do a podcast stage. And I think the, uh, SAS Talk uh, in, in Dublin, Ireland this year, it really came together really, really nicely in that they had this idea of we would do a podcast stage in the middle of the show floor. We would interview people, but they would actually give all the audience uh, a headset. And obviously, we had a wireless mic. And so people actually put on the, the headphones in the middle of the, the conference floor and could actually listen to us interview guests and other podcasts also join the stage, etc. as well. Uh, so it worked out really, really well. And I think actually, so some people said to me, actually, they really liked it because it was a good opportunity to actually sort of chill out for a second, put on the headphones, and you could actually listen very clearly to yeah. a someone being interviewed, whereas sometimes, you know, there's a lot of these stages now, nowadays at conferences, you know, the smaller stages do tend to be on the show floor, but it can be actually quite, you know, with startup pitches and all these kind of things, it can be actually quite hard to hear, hear what's going on. The sound quality is a bit, yeah, is always a bit off. Yeah. That must be a really interesting dynamic. Do you forget that there's an audience? Because part of the big thing about public speaking is that you're, you're presented with this audience in front of you that you have to deal with and the terror and tension that comes from that. Did you forget you were on stage? You generally do. I suppose my background is, uh, I actually worked as a journalist for yeah. 20 years and uh, mostly covering tech. And that's, that's how I kind of made the transition to working in a software company and, and run their content operation. But I think, yeah, when you're interviewing people, I think that the thing is you're always trying to put yourself in the shoes of your audience. You're always trying to check, like have that curiosity, you know, try and think like what people listening would want to hear. And so you're just in that mode. And I certainly, once I'm in that mode, I kind of, even though I'm actually weirdly trying to channel the audience and I'm more used maybe to not a live audience, but a, you know, an audience that's reading a paper or reading a story online or, or listening to a recording, you kind of forget that there is a live audience there. Uh, once you get over the initial kind of, oh, there's someone five feet away and am I sitting funny? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that definitely is uh, is a thing. It was actually quite funny at Sastock because we had two seats. Uh, we had like a, a main seat, which was small, and then almost like a half couch. 
I don't know, for some reason it was really bothering me. One or two of the hosts were sitting on the big seat and they had their guests on the little seat. And I was like, no, 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 that's all wrong. You should, you know, <laughs> host is always on the little seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Guests, the guests should be relaxing on the big seat. Everybody had headphones. They're like the, the silent disco thing. Yeah, so it actually worked really, really well. Um, Sastock had a team there that had a couple of people wandering around uh, handing out the headsets, the over-ear headphones. Uh, and of course, they had to run around and sort of make sure people didn't just kind of wander off with them without without, yeah, uh, yeah. without giving them back. There was generally sort of like about 20 to 30 people there at any given time. It was just a nice way to sort of uh, experience something a little bit different at the conference. And we got very positive feedback. Our actual stand at the conference was right beside it. So it kind of made it. And we we actually, spot, like our logo, we sponsored the podcast stage. So it worked, all worked out really, really nicely. And it was just a little bit something different because I think you know, as we all know, conferences can get very samey after a while and yeah. people are always looking for something a little bit different to, to stand out and attract a little bit of attention. I think we're seeing more of that this year with a lot of the tech conferences. I was uh, speaking at UXDX recently, uh, but I was asked to do a debate format. So not a panel discussion with multiple people, but me against another guy. Going back to the uh, college debating societies. Very much so, yeah. And, and of course, you know, we have all this uh, stuff going on with John Burko and all that in, in the UK at the moment. So we were told to ham yeah. it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was good fun because, I mean, a lot of conferences have just been speaker after speaker after speaker. And even if the speaker is good, you're right, it is a little repetitive. Yeah. And the thing I've noticed really in the last probably 18 months is you will have a lot of people on the main stage and it's very almost like thought leadership. It's very like, or, you know, it's someone's individual story. And I think conference, particularly in the tech industry, I don't think people are as interested in that anymore. I find the slightly smaller stages where there's very tactical advice that you can bring back to your own business and actually take action on are far more popular. That actually you find the smaller stages are packed and you've got these big keynotes going on and, and the room might be half full. Because, yeah. uh, you know, I think if you're going to take time out, if you're going to take a day to go to a conference, you want to come back to the office with something. Yeah. Well, you got it, right? Yeah. Exactly. You were paid to be there. And while, you know, keynotes can be very interesting. And, and uh, again, like we've, we've seen a lot of, you know, people like HubSpot do a great job at their inbound conference, which I've been to. Like I've seen uh, Serena Williams and people there, you know, great celebrity star turns and they're, they're really interesting. But, you know, if there's a celebrity star turn, yet there's maybe someone down the corridor talking about content that I really admire. I'm going to end up going to the content talk because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what I'm going to bring back to the office. As I say, though, yeah. you know, it's also nice to see a <laughs> to see a celebrity talk if you get. If you oh, get. yeah, well, we yeah, we we all <laughs> we all have that temptation. Yeah. You do ordinary conference talks as well. Yeah, and it's part of your job. How do you deal with that? I mean, is that do you suffer from stage fright or are you inured to it now? Uh, I suppose when I started off, so as I said, I worked as a journalist. I was more used to being sort of like the interrogator. Uh, I was more used to being the person asking the questions. Uh, the the other foot now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think there was a bit of a, a transition. So I moved into work in Intercom just uh, over five years ago now. And I think uh, Intercom, you know, way before we actually, anyone at the company had like formally marketing in their job title, two of our founders in particular, Des Trainer and Owen McCabe, who's our CEO, really worked the conference circuit and really like blogged and shared things they'd learned along the way. And I really used that as a way to sort of, I suppose, spread the word about Intercom. And Intercom definitely, I think, got a lot more just exposure and people were much more aware of the company than probably should have been in the early stages. Uh, it was a really, really successful tactic for them. So when I joined the Intercom, there definitely was, I wouldn't say so much a pressure to do it, but it just it felt like it was the natural thing to do. And so many people at the company 
blogs and would interview people for our podcast. And the, the next step was like, you know, obviously you'd expect to go and speak at conferences, et cetera. So very much there was a feeling that this is like something you do this as part a normal of your thing. Yeah. And as you grow. Yeah. And Des and Owen, of course, are very competent public speakers. Did you feel under pressure? Scarily competent, yeah. <laughs> uh, which can be quite intimidating. But luckily, uh, they also both have been very, very generous with their time and sort of like sharing what they've learned okay. about public speaking. And I think probably not to give away any confidences, but I know like, you know, Des, for instance, would say you still get nervous even when you've done like he's gone to the Nordic Business Forum in it's a, it's a sort of a general business uh, conference. It's not even a tech one. And I think Oh, outside the tech industry. Oh, that's scary. Yeah, yeah. But there's yeah. like grown-ups. <laughs> 5,000 or 10,000 or something crazy in the room. I remember seeing the wow. pictures all the time. But equally, he could be speaking at one of our own events where we're like 300 people in the room and he'll still get nervous. And, you know, he'd be the first to say, you know, if you don't get nervous, that's when you don't kind of get the adrenaline. And exactly. Yeah. Channeling that nervous energy and positively is what makes a really good speaker. I think if you're just uh, really, really calm all the time, you probably don't get the same energy. Or Yeah, it makes you sharper anyway. That's what I find. I think so, yeah. You started out as a journalist. Did you have much cold to do public speaking in the early days or was it mostly scribbling at a desk? To use a but yeah, I'm pretty old school. I like edited magazines back in the day and uh, worked for newspapers and then obviously tried to make the move to online. Well, we all made the move to online, but tried to make the move to online and be profitable. But generally, I think in those days, uh, like my public speaking exposure would largely have been sort of like as an MC or, or yeah. you know, hosting panels, that kind of stuff, which... I have to say, actually, I, nowadays, I love being on a panel because you can kind of take it anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But being the host of it, being the MC or being the host of a panel is, is a really, it's a tough one to do well. Isn't it? It's very hard. Yeah. You know, I would be more used to the doing the, the, the traditional conference talk. And then I, I've recently been asked to do more MC roles. Bloody hard. You got to say something funny and you got to remember all these details about who's speaking next. and Lots of research. Try and get on calls with your panelists in advance and... Simple thing I always did was like literally say to people like what are, whoever's on the panel like what are the three most like interesting or contrarian things you think about your space or your industry that no one else agrees with or not even that no one else agrees with but just that like stand out from the norm and that generally you'll find some interesting talking points rather than like I think sometimes people can can slip into autopilot a little bit on yeah. panels. And so you're trying to just draw out something that's going to be interesting for the audience. You need a little bit of controversy. Absolutely. You need a little bit of conflict. So you have to go through this transition, which a lot of our listeners mm -hmm. also have to go through, where you're doing a particular job and then to move to the next level professionally, you either have to or your boss asks you to start doing public speaking. And that happened to you when you joined Intercom. Mm -hmm. Take us through that early stage where Des or Aaron says, right, there's a stage, go on. <laughs> Get up there, 20 minutes about content marketing and how Intercom works and all that sort of stuff. How did you start? What was the first one like? Gosh, the first one, uh, actually the first one, I think I went and represented Intercom was at a, it was a really fun conference, but it had the awful name of uh, Unicorns and Rainbows. Oh, it was God. a conference <laughs> for startups in... So techy, so techy. Antwerp, I think. Uh, and then, of course, I flew into Brussels and there was like a, a national taxi strike. Or no, sorry, oh. a national train strike in Brussels. So I had to get a taxi queue for an hour in Brussels Airport and get a taxi. That wasn't a great start. No. But I mean, I think the big thing is you need to speak about things that you actually have some kind of passion and knowledge of. And, you know, you feel you're coming from a position of strength that you have something to share with the audience. And really then, you know, put yourself in, in the audience's shoes and think about like, well, what do you have to, like, what is going to be interesting to them? 
I mean, I think we've we've all seen occasionally talks that, that fall flat in their face. And I think the one common thing I would say with the talks that don't work out is that they don't necessarily think about the audience. They're trying to like sell their own product or, yeah. you know, sometimes people try and tell very personal stories and they're just not a good enough speaker to pull it off. I think I've, I've seen that once or twice. And Are you speaking from hard-earned experience? Uh, from hard-earned experience, attending conferences, I think. Yeah. We've seen it particularly at the, I think tech industry is, was very guilty of it in the past. Luckily, I think the, the standard has been raised since, but you know, mm-hmm. where people literally used to give you the, you know, the PowerPoint presentation trying to sell their products. And you've used, oh God, yeah. yeah. Yeah, please stop now. Just going back to my first experience of speaking for Intercom, I think like as a company, we very much tried to capture like what maybe like initially Des and Owen had learned and, and different people had learned. And so there's uh, Evelyn Clinton on my team. She's uh, a content marketing manager on my team. She is literally like our, our speaking and sort of presentation expert. And she's kind of like, uh, you know, we've documented a bunch of this stuff, but she, she would work with uh, different people who've got talks coming up. Oh, wonderful. You actually support the support speakers. We do. Early. That's fantastic. Wow. We get a lot of requests. We can't support every everyone from yeah. the speaks at this point. But yes, certainly for our own Marvelous. events, we'd all support people. You know, we would arrange check-ins, help them with their slides, make sure there's dry runs done. You know, it's not rocket science, as they say. Um, it's all pretty standard stuff, I think, in terms of like what you need to do a good talk. Yeah. But it's really helpful to have someone that can make sure you go it through is, that. It is, it is. A lot of companies just dump people. I mean, this happened to me, right? You just get dumped in at the deep end. It's like, oh, there's a you know 500 person conference. Go, go and speak at that. Figure it out as you go. Which is high risk if you think about it, you know, because your company's reputation is potentially exactly. on the line. So, you know, and obviously it's, it's not even its full-time job, but, you know, it makes sense to invest in that and make sure that your people are representing your company yeah. as well as you can. I've heard Intercom has this cupcake idea. Yeah. Does it apply to learning to speak? Tell us about Cupcake. Okay, so first off, there's a blog post that Des wrote called Start with a Cupcake. Pretty uh, mm-hmm. short post. I would Google it and have a read, uh, I would say to your listeners. People now use Cupcake as a, as a verb. At Intercom. We're going to cupcake that. What does it mean? It means if you're setting out to make a wedding cake, you don't sort of lock yourself in a room and sort of perfect the individual components like icing and baking the main cake or you know decoration. You should actually start with a cupcake mm. and actually figure out, does pistachio and lemon work together? Is there hotspots in my oven that I like, am I going to need to get a new oven? Like just come up with the smallest thing that you can to get out into the world and get some feedback. Like maybe you cook the cupcake and you taste it yourself. Maybe you then make a bigger cake and you get customer feedback, but whatever it is, get feedback as soon as you can. Because this, I think in the, the old days, particularly in the, te- in the tech industry and software world where there was sort of like big monolithic releases every six months or every couple of years, you know, that's effectively what they were doing. They were kind of making a wedding cake, but getting no feedback as, as they made the cake. And I think nowadays, both in terms of technology, in terms of like, you know, SaaS as a, as a business model where you, you're, you're accessing software over the web and it's been updated all the time, you can get feedback really, really quickly and customers can tell you what they think of something. And we've applied it across the board. It's not just sort of for development or product development. We've applied that in marketing. We'll apply it across the board, even in terms of like, you'll hear people on the on the people ops team and HR team actually talk about like, you know, a new program and they're going to like cupcake it. This is the cupcake version. I love how every every company gets their own weird internal language. 
uh, yes, and uh, you then have to have a glossary for when you people <laughs> join. So it's like, yeah. when do you hear this word? This is how it acts. You know, companies have uh, some cutesy names for their uh, employees. Is there something like that in Intercom? Or is it just Intercomers? Or? It's kind of been reported outside Intercomrades. Okay, okay. But, yeah, it's been reported outside. Uh, I think someone a couple of years ago did a blog post where they put different companies in different Harry Potter houses. Yeah. <laughs> based on sort of company culture uh, and, and don't ask me what house we were in because I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan it was like three or four years ago but that definitely I think that post and a couple of others have, have mentioned the intercomrades thing still a term we use internally Okay so applying this cupcake idea to public speaking again we're taking the perspective of somebody who's, who's knows they have to start or are being asked to start I mean you have things like lightning talks, really small meetups I mean even even volunteering for internal presentations I mean they could all be your cupcakes yeah. So for us, I think with talks, the way it's kind of developed, it's not linear and it doesn't always work uh, exactly this way. But we think very much of conferences and our own events as kind of live content. And so like a lot of the ideas that end up in talks may well have started off as a blog post or it may well start off as a conversation someone's had on a podcast. Uh, it may start off a conversation on a podcast, our own podcast, say. And then they write it up as a blog post. And then actually they'll decide, actually, maybe this is, maybe this is like something, a lightning talk that I can give at a, a small event or one of our own internal events, or whatever it might be. And then ultimately it will become something that could be discussed or given as a, as a talk at a conference. We have a, a lot of our own events we, we host. Uh, we've done a couple of world tours and stuff. So like generally the, the path there is if you want to be a speaker on the world tour, well, then you actually start creating content, whether, as I said, it's blog posts, whether it's uh, podcast, whatever it might be. But it's not a case that people just, as you, as you said, get sort of told, hey, you're speaking and, and, and we're going to throw you out in front of 500 people. Yeah, 40 minutes. And, yeah, 45. Yeah. So I think that, you know, and that process then of having a blog post that people are leaving comments on or like getting in touch with you about or talking about in social media, that's the feedback. Listen, pistachios and, and lemon. Do they go to yeah, Probably. <laughs> oh, no, okay. It's not good to me. They're Mediterranean, aren't they? I assume there are cupcakes in the Intercom canteen, right? We occasionally have cupcakes. We have yeah. cakes for people. We get uh, for for birthdays. Uh, we do it like every. Oh, month. very good. We get like <laughs> okay. so for all the people whose birthday it is. But no, we're not one of those kind of perks companies that we we try and have uh, cupcakes every day in the in the canteen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that a, a particularly healthy perk. No, we have run out of time, so we're going to end on cupcakes. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. Wonderful stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com who help make this podcast possible till next time remember 
Take a deep breath, pause, and step forward. <laughs>